Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. All right, you guys still doing good? You told me you were doing well a little while ago. Everybody still doing all right? Hey, listen. Yeah, go ahead. It's fine. You go ahead and do that. That's fine. Hey, uh, listen, I, I love that you are here today. I said earlier, I don't feel like we've had a normal Sunday, but I love that you're here and I love that you come. Some of you very faithfully, just every single time that we gather together. And I encourage you as you're beginning the new year and you're making resolutions and maybe you've already broken like 90% of them and that, you know, that kind of thing. But hey, make some new ones. It doesn't have to be new year, but mid-January, new kind of resolution, whatever, be, to be in church. We believe that God's doing some great things. And the best place for you to do that is right here at the beginning of a brand new series. We start today for three weeks just looking at a brand new idea. And so we'd love for you to be with us. You know, in the first century, there was a, uh, a rabbi, a famous rabbi, if you look in history, he was a contemporary of Jesus. His name was Akiva ben Yosef. And this rabbi, uh, as history tells us, was going one day from his house into the village to get some supplies. And he went into the village and he got the supplies that he needed and he was working to go back to his house. And as he left the village, like he was thinking about some things and he got, kind of got lost in his thoughts. Uh, and so he, as he was traveling back to his house, he, he ended up getting lost physically as well. And so as he's getting lost, he's wandering around, he's not even really paying attention where he's at. All of a sudden he hears this voice cry out and says to him, who are you and why are you here? Who are you and why are you here? He pretty quickly comes to and kind of looks around to see where he's at, and he realizes that he has stumbled upon a Roman garrison of troops. And the voice that was yelling at him was a soldier. And so he's kind of, you know, getting his wits about him a little bit. He's holding the supplies, I'm sure. And, and again, the soldier calls out to him and says, Who are you and why are you here? And so Rabbi Ben Yosef kind of catches himself and he asks a question in response to the soldier. And he says to him, he said, how much are they paying you to stand here and to ask these questions of those who stumble upon you? And the soldier said, they're paying me five drachmas a week. And the rabbi says, I will pay you twice as much to come home with me and stand outside of my door and every single morning before I go out, ask me those same two questions. Who are you and why are you here? Think about those two questions. What do they do for us? Who are you helps to create for us our identity. Who are you? Not just, not just your name, but who are you? And then why are you here helps you to understand what your purpose is. When we create these sermon series and we go to God's Word to try to attempt to figure out what we're going to preach, we, we have a teaching team. That's what we call it. I don't know if that's the best word for it, but it's a teaching team. It's the communicators at both campuses that will eventually preach during that series. And we get together and we look at the text, we look at the Scripture from the Bible, we talk about anything that we feel like is pertinent to, to these sermons or to these series to make sure that we want to communicate. And that way we're communicating you know, the truths at each campus the way that we desire to do that. And Pastor Justin Walker told me that story as we were in the meeting together. Uh, he told me that story about the rabbi. And as I wrote it down, I was thinking about the weight of those two questions. Who are you and why are you here? Now, this new series that we begin today is called Perspective. 
And the word perspective, if you were to define it, it really has a couple of different meanings. It's really the attitude or the way that you view something. It's a point of view. It also can be used in art. It's an artistic technique that allows you to take an object, and even in a 2D form, to be able to see the proper size and dimension of that object. You have proper perspective, even in a two-dimensional way. Now, I'm not an artist at all. Even my stick people look like they have an eating disorder. I cannot draw, paint, anything. But I have come to appreciate that even in a two-dimensional way, someone that is very skilled in that way helps me to recognize with a proper perspective the size and the scope and the weight of what that item or object is that they're, they're drawing. And so for you and I, if we are to begin, and here at the very beginning of this year, even as we're in the middle of January now, if we're to really make this year great, if we're to make sure that our lives are on the right course, if we're making sure that we're pursuing the right things, I think it's important for us to have a few guiding principles. Now, the two questions that the rabbi asked are not even a part of really the three questions that we believe is shaping this series for us over these three weeks. So we're going to zoom out a little bit. Because for you, as you search for your identity, as you search for your purpose, I think there's an even larger question that would encapsulate both of those questions. And that question is this. What is life? What is life? I mean, that's kind of like when you went to college and you sat down and there was just a one-question test in your class. And it was like, you know, how was Rome built? Or what is life? Like, it seems overwhelming to think about, right? What is life? For some of us, if we were to answer that question, we would say that life is our daily activities. It's our family. It's our relationships. It's, it's our jobs. It's our kids or our spouses, perhaps. It's our future. And, and maybe some of those things are included in that. But what is life? Like, if you were to really start this year off on the right track, you would start with that kind of open-ended question that drives you towards pursuing a truth that would guide you the rest of your days. What is life? And so today, as we pursue that answer we're going to begin looking at a guy in Scripture that I think is one of, he's definitely one of my favorite. He's a guy by the name of Peter, Simon Peter. The reason that I love this guy so much is that because of all those early followers of Jesus Christ, he's probably the guy that I can relate to the most. Like there were some people that followed after Jesus, and, and I can't really connect to their story, relate to their story, but Peter was the guy that when he was supposed to be quiet, he talked, and when he was supposed to talk, he either was quiet or said the wrong thing. Like he tended to rush in and do the wrong thing at the wrong time a lot of times. But he is a beloved part of the story and the narrative of Jesus Christ. And so I relate to his story and I love so much about him. And so today we're going to look beginning in Luke chapter 5. If you've got a Bible you want to follow along in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible but you've got a phone, feel free to follow along there. These scriptures should be on the screen today. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We'll read a few verses at a time and then we'll stop and talk about what we've been reading. This is what it says. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, we're talking about Peter here, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, even in these first four verses of Luke chapter 5, I think that there is an interesting pattern, an interesting progression that as Peter, as Simon Peter here, is interacting with Jesus for the first time in the gospel of Luke, I think we see the pattern in which Jesus uses to interact with all of us for the first time. Look at what happened. If you remember, 
Peter was washing his nets along with the other guys that owned the other boat. There were two boats there sitting by themselves. They had been out fishing all night long, and so they're washing their nets. And Jesus comes up. The crowd of people are following him as he teaches. And so he's teaching, and they're following him, and the crowd begins to kind of continue to push at Jesus to get closer and closer to him as he's teaching. And as that's happening, Jesus is walking, and he comes to the edge of the water, and there's not really anywhere else that he can go. The crowd has continued to push up against him as he's trying to teach more and more people the truths that he is proclaiming. And so he comes up to the edge of the water, and he sees these two empty boats, and he sees the fishermen that are washing their nets out beside these empty boats. And so it doesn't tell us in the gospels here it doesn't tell us that he asked permission he just gets in one of the boats he steps into the boat i'm assuming there's at least a conversation or a head nod or something to peter because then peter comes and gets in the boat with him and he asks peter can you push away from the shore just a little bit so they go out into shallow water and jesus sits down in the boat at that point and begins to teach the crowds from the boat while they stay on the land After he's done teaching, what we just read is that he says to Peter, let's push out into deeper waters. And then after they're out in deeper waters, he said, and now let's throw the net overboard. And so as I was reading this, maybe for the first time I saw it this way, I feel like this is the pattern in which Jesus interacts with all of us in the first times. In those first moments that we interact with Jesus, maybe we've been exposed to him, maybe we know a little bit about him, but when we really are having a personal encounter with Jesus for the first time, I think he follows this pattern almost every time. And it looks a little something like this, and this will be up on the screen for us. We're just doing our own thing. Like when we start out, we're just doing our own thing. Peter's washing his nets, we're doing our jobs, we're living our lives, we're going to school. Whatever it is, whenever it was, we're doing our own thing. And then Jesus gets in my business. He just gets in. He didn't ask permission. He just gets in my boat. Something happens, a a teaching. I'm in church. I'm at a Bible study. I hear a song on the radio. I, I hear someone having a spiritual conversation. The Holy Spirit uses something that even seems non-spiritual to become spiritual to me so that I, I have this moment of, of just feeling like, man, there's, there's something different. There's something that I've experienced. There's something that I've seen. We do not read in this passage of scripture that Peter was acknowledging Jesus while he was teaching as he kind of came closer to the shore. But if we know anything about Peter from later in the story, he was probably eavesdropping. And then all of a sudden he looks over and Jesus is just inside of his boat. He just gets in his business. And then what does he do? From there, he says, okay, let's go out into shallow water. Let's push out just a little bit away from the shore. Let's get off of solid ground and let's go out a little bit where it's going to cost you something, push you out a little bit, make you a little bit more uncomfortable. Let's get away from the comfort of where we've just been and let's go to a different place. But it's still shallow. You could still jump out. You could still get back to shore. You could still do your own thing. You could get away quickly. And then from shallow water, he calls us into deeper water, probably at this point where it's above our heads, where it's a little more of a commitment to stay out there because maybe you can swim back to shore, but it's a calling to something That's a little beyond you. And then he calls us to trust him and obey. Let's cast the nets on the other side. Now, what we're going to read in just a second, and what I've even referenced to some of you, what you know about this story, is that Peter and those other fishermen had already fished all night long. Like the fact that Jesus would say to them, let's throw the nets on the other side, let's throw the nets back into the water, is something that they would not have wanted to do because they've already done it, and it didn't work. I know a lot of people who have, 
I'm going to put air quotes here so everybody look at me. Tried religion. Tried God. Tried church. Maybe it didn't work for you. Maybe it didn't work for you. Maybe you tried it. Maybe you, you did what you thought you were supposed to do and you didn't feel anything different. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. And so you're just like, well, I've already done that. And yet today you might find yourself in a boat that's out in shallow water or in a boat that maybe is out in deeper water. Maybe you're still on the shore doing your own thing and Jesus is getting up in your business. And if he's not getting up in your business, I'm about to get up in your business. What if today Jesus is asking you to do something that you've already done before and it didn't seem to work for you? My friend Matt Keller has written a book called The Key to Everything. It's a pretty abrasive title to think that he's mastered the key to everything. But he says that the one key to everything is teachability. He says if you give him someone who is teachable, you can conquer the world. And his definition, his working definition of being teachable is to be willing to learn that which you think you already know. Being willing to learn something that you think you already know. Have you ever had someone, as you're doing something, you're cooking in the kitchen, you're doing something on your job, you're coaching a sport, whatever it is you're doing. You ever had somebody that walks up beside you, they don't realize the base of knowledge that you have to do this task, and they try to teach you how to do what you're doing, and you know that what they're telling you is not as good as what you're already doing? How do you respond? You go, no, I got this. Back up. Right? No, maybe you're kind. Oh, thank you so much. That is so great. But in your head, you're thinking, you're an idiot. You are an absolute nobody else. You're, okay, I'm the only one. No. Or do you say, thank you. Maybe there's something I can learn about what you're telling me. Maybe there's a different way that I could learn and do, and that's teachability. This This is almost the point that Peter finds himself in when he's listening to Jesus say, let's go out into deeper waters. Peter's already been in deeper waters. And let's cast our nets again. Peter's already done that. And Peter has a choice, and this is what we read in verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When I read this, again, I probably read too much into Scripture sometimes, but when I read this, I think about the tone in which I think these people are talking to one another. Because we read it and it's very flat, right? It's 2D. But if we have proper perspective, we start thinking about the tone in which they would talk to one another in the same way that we have tone. You know, you could read it and say, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I don't think that's how Peter said it. I think Peter was frustrated he was being asked to do what he had already done because if you remember, there are two realities that exist here when Jesus has asked this question of Peter. Let's put down the nets. Can we put down the nets? Peter And the other guys had already done this all night long and caught no fish. So he's frustrated, he's tired, he's ready to go home and take a nap. That's one reality. The second reality, they've already washed their nets. I don't want to throw the net back into the stinky, empty of fish water because we've already tried it, there are no fish here, and they're already clean for the next time we're going to go out and actually catch fish, which we can't do today because we've already tried it here. And so I think the tone probably went something like this, Master. (laughs) We have worked hard all night long, and and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, all right, I mean, I'll I'll do it. That's fine. 
It's almost like, listen, you're smart. All these people are following you. You're teaching. They think you've got something to say. I'm about to teach you a little something about fishing, okay? We've already done this. But listen, you teacher, rabbi guy, let me show you how fishing works. We're going to throw the net overboard and nothing's going to happen. I kind of feel like, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, I kind of feel like that's the tone in which Peter is responding. Listen to this, though, in verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners from the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So, again... Imagine the tone in which Peter is saying, yeah, Lord, okay, master, I'm going to throw the nets overboard. And immediately the nets start kind of pulling because they're getting filled and caught with fish. Peter's trying to pull the net back into the boat and realizes like this, there's something different happening here. And he pulls and it's heavy and he calls for the other guys with the other boat. Hey, come, listen, I can't, I can't do this on my own. He, he pulls the net in. There's so many fish in his boat that he continues to pull. And now there's more fish for his boat, and there's more fish for their boat, so much so that the boats almost sink. Now, I told you I wasn't an artist. I am also not a great fisherman. I don't know if I don't have the patience for it, or I'm just not good. I'm not really sure. But the truth that I've been told that I think is right, and the fishermen in the room can tell me if this is right later, I think if they're not biting in a spot, you're supposed to move. That's kind of what I've, I've been told. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's why I'm not a good fisherman. But like, if you fish and nothing's biting and you think you're using the right bait and you're in the right spot, the right time of day, doing it the right way, and they're just not biting, it probably means there are no fish there and you should move to another place. And yet Jesus takes Peter back to the same place to try to catch fish the same way, and it's a different result. I don't know about you, but for me, for sure, 100% of the time, when I do things God's way, I get a different result than when I do things my way. 100% of the time. When I try to do things my way, even when it's well-intended, but I know it's different than the way God is calling me to live and the things that God is asking me to do, the things that are written in God's word and how I should live and how I should respond, 100% of the time it works out better for me when I do it God's way. And I've said this a lot, but maybe you say, well, that's the most preacher thing you could say. I'm a preacher. I don't know what you want me to say. It's true because it's true, not because I said it. It's just true. And so Peter throws the nets, maybe even begrudgingly, and it fills up with fish so much that he can't keep it all in his boat so much so that he's got to bring other guys with another boat and it fills up their boat to where both boats are almost sinking now. They're so full of fish. I, uh, I read a statistic recently that said that the most evangelistic people, the most evangelistic people, what I mean by evangelistic is people that share the gospel, people that are talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. The people that do that the most are those who have been saved less than 24 months. People that have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those first 24 months after you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ is the time in which you share the gospel more than just about any other. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about some people that I know who came into life with Christ, came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and man, it was like they got their hair set on fire. 
Like they're just telling everybody, especially if it was like this huge change. And I mean outward, obvious type of change where they were this kind of person and now they are obviously a very different kind of person. They were a part of different habits or ran with different people or a part of a different scene and now they're in something completely different. It's almost like they just want somebody to ask them what's different, right? I'm just, I just dare you to ask me what's different so that I can tell you who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in my life. But I think for those that are outside of that 24-month window, some of us, we're, we're not as excited. We, we don't share the gospel as often. We don't feel that compulsion to make sure that everyone around us who may be outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ knows that it's possible for them to find life in Christ. Again, if you see the pattern of Peter, you see him minding his own business, doing his own thing, Jesus getting in his business, calling him out into a first step into shallow water, calling him out into a deeper step of deeper water, and then asking him to trust and obey. And then what you see right here is that when Peter sees the demonstration of the power of God, he has to include some other people. Y'all come over here. You're not going to believe this. You know the spot we were just fishing and didn't catch anything? This guy. There's something about this guy. And man, there's, there's more fish than I can hold on to. I think for all of us this morning that are followers of Jesus Christ, I would say to you, how often are you inviting other people to see the demonstration of God's power? How often are you asking people to come and see what God is doing near you, in you, in your church, in your home, in your business. Let's keep reading in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. When Simon Peter saw this, we read this in verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I thought about this this week. I was reading this passage in preparation of today, and it was maybe Monday or Tuesday. I wasn't actually even like, preparing the sermon. I was just reading through the text. It's something that I do every week. I kind of, I read through whatever passage of scripture we're going we're gonna to look at on Sunday. I probably read it 10, 12, 15, 20, 25, 30 times some week just to ask God to like get this passage into my heart and into my soul. And I was reading this on Monday, Monday morning, I guess it was, or maybe Tuesday morning. I was reading this and it was almost as if the second part of verse eight jumped out at me. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And I had this thought in my head. It wasn't until Peter obeyed and saw the power of God demonstrated that he knew who he was, sinful man, and he knew who Jesus was, Lord. Think about it. Until he cast the net into the water and reaped the benefit of the fish into his boat, it wasn't until that moment that he called Jesus Lord and he acknowledged his sinfulness. And you say, well, I mean, that's, I'm not sure why that's a big deal. Because all along the way, he had opportunities not to be obedient 
that potentially would have caused him to miss out on what he got to see. So think about it. He's washing his nets, and Jesus comes to the shore. He could have left his nets and left. There's a crowd coming. I don't want to get caught up in this. I'm going home. I'm tired. He could have left, but he stayed. Jesus gets in his boat. Again, maybe Jesus asked him. Maybe Jesus nodded at him. I don't know, but something happened, and eventually he gets into the boat with Jesus. He could have said no, but he said yes. Then Jesus says, let's go out into shallow water so that I can teach. He could have said no. But he said yes. And then when he gets done teaching, Jesus says, let's push out into deeper water. He could have said no, but he said yes. And then Jesus said, let's throw the nets onto the other side. He could have said no, but he said yes. And when he threw the nets in the water, even though he was sure it wouldn't work, it worked. The fish came up into the boat, and immediately he realized, I am a sinful man, Lord. Here's what I believe about this pattern of obedience. First thing I see is that obedience leads to revelation. When I say revelation, what I mean is something new being revealed. Something new being revealed. When I am obedient, it allows me in proper perspective to see God in a new way. When I am obedient, it allows me to see the work of God, the power of God, the demonstration of God's power in my life or around me in the circumstances that exist. Obedience leads to revelation. If, if Peter at any point along the way would have said no, he might have missed out on seeing who Jesus was and recognizing who he was. Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful Man, he could have missed that moment. Obedience leads to revelation. But the other truth about obedience is this. Obedience leads to greater chances to obey. You say, well, that, okay, what do you mean? I mean, I don't know about you, but I have this desire to finish the things that I start. I wrote this last week about when my wife and I paint stuff. We try to paint and finish the project because we took a before picture. We want to take an after picture. Nobody takes the 45 minutes before we're done picture. Like, nobody does that. We want to finish. And I think sometimes I take that mentality into my relationship with Jesus Christ and assume that there is a finish mark. And I guess there is here on earth when we die. But as long as there's breath in my lungs, as long as I'm kicking, as long as I'm screaming, there's no finish line here on earth. There's no, like, I stop being obedient. I've learned it all. I've done it all. I, when I was younger, I used to think about these older people who were like these faithful saints of the church. And I used to think, well, they've, they've arrived. They figured it out. They figured out how to do it. And what I came to figure out is, no, no, no. There's not like they just put it on autopilot because they had figured it. It was a daily moment by moment, day by day, decision to follow Jesus Christ, to follow his example. That's actually the answer to what is life. I would even ask it this way because the rabbi, it worked for him. He asked a question in response to a question. I would ask it this in response to what is life. I would ask it this way. What are you following? Who are you following? What's the trajectory of your life? What's the direction of your life? That will ultimately find your answer for what is life. That's how you find it as quickly as possible. 
Just figure out which direction you're headed. I'm not talking about heaven or hell right this second. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying if you determine what you're pushing your life, pointing your life toward, you will ultimately find the answer to what is life. What is the meaning of life? There are people, I've, I've been at their funerals and you have too. There are people that at the end of their life, they are celebrated because they made a lot of money or they were very successful on their job. They were good parents, perhaps. They were great spouses. They were good friends. And what you determine is in those moments when people are looking back, they have determined looking back what that person in advance was pointed towards in front of them. I want to be a good person. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good husband or wife. I want to be successful in my job. But I think there's something greater possible for all of us. But the only way to find that something greater is to determine who you're following in advance. Trevor, come here. This can be a stretch. I've used part of this illustration before. Imagine, if you will, that Trevor is Jesus. That's a stretch. Just close your eyes if you have to. Close your eyes if you have to. If Trevor is Jesus, then my answer to what is life, what is the meaning of life, is found in deciding whether or not I'm going to follow Jesus. So as I decide that this is, this is the example that God gave to me in human form, this is, this is what God gave to me, the very best depiction on earth of what it looks like to live the lifestyle on earth of what pleases God and honors God. This Jesus is the best example I have of that. And beyond Jesus, what I'm left with is the words of God in the Bible. And so my life, I have a choice. I can either get in behind him and follow his example. And everywhere he picks up his foot and leaves a footprint, I try to put my foot in it. And I follow that example. And I just chase after him. The apostle Paul in the New Testament said, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, I am following the example of Jesus Christ. And if you want to figure out the fastest way to get to Jesus, just get in behind me. It's my least favorite part of wedding receptions. Can I tell you? The conga line. I hate it. I hate it. It's not my favorite part. I'm not a good dancer. I just kind of live right here, right? This is where I live. This, I, I got none of this. I mean, I just got right here. That's all I got, right? That's all I got. And so when we get in the conga line and we're supposed to do all kinds of things with our shoulders and our hips, my shoulders and hips don't move like that. So I just kind of, if they get me in the line, which I usually go to the bathroom when that line starts, but if they get me in the line... I just kind of hang out like this, right? Am I supposed to dance right now? No, don't dance. It's, it's embarrassing. And so what we do is we just, we just decide we're just going to follow the person in front of us. This is what we do. What is the meaning of life? Come here. What is the meaning of life? I'm just going to walk following the example of the person in front of me. Come here. What's the example of the person in front of me? Just keep going. You just walk. You're the leading here. You're Jesus. What's the example? Hop up. Let's go. Hop in line right here. What's the example? What are we going to do? We're just going to walk. We're just going to follow the, the example of the person in front of us. We're just going right here in line. We're just walking. I'm just holding on to the person, getting right there behind the line there. We're just getting in the line. You know I was going to choose you. You like to dance at wedding receptions. So we just, you're Facebook living them every time we go to a wedding reception, right? So we're just, now stop for a second. Stop for a second. This is the best example I can give you of what the church is. Best example I can give you, right here. That the church exists so that Jesus is at the front and as many of us as possible are getting in behind the example of Jesus Christ to follow him. And everywhere we go, 
every single chance we get, we just say, hey, you need to be a part of this. You need to come and see the demonstration of the power of God. Thank you. You can all be seated. This is the best example I have for what the church looks like. That I'm just following the example of Jesus Christ. And every chance I get, I invite as many people as I can to get in line with us. We're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out. But everywhere Jesus picked his foot up and left a footprint, I just put my foot there. Because I don't know where I'm going. I've just said I want to follow his example. So today I would ask you this question. Who are you following? Who are you following? And not just that. If I could expand it just for a moment, who's following you? Who are you bringing along for the ride? Who are you making sure in your home or on your job or in your school or in your neighborhood knows who you're following and you've invited them to follow you as you follow Jesus? It's the best example I can give of what the church should look like. What discipleship is. Discipleship is just picking up my foot and putting it where I just saw Jesus' foot at. It's the best example I can give you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Obedience leads to revelation. And obedience leads to greater chances to obey. You never stop having opportunities to obey. Every moment of every day, you just say, God, what do you want me to do right here? What do you want me to do? And if you're waiting for God to tell you something new and you don't hear him speaking, you just do the last thing he told you to do until he tells you to do something different. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And you just follow his example and invite as many people as you can to get in behind you. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for the church. I thank you today for the opportunity to follow you. I thank you today for the opportunity to search your word and to find truth that would impact our lives. And God, I pray for every person in this room who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. They're not in relationship. It doesn't make them a bad person. They're probably a great person. Lord, this is not, a, this is not an insider's club. This is not a country club. This is... This is just a group of people that have acknowledged our imperfection and received the free gift that comes from you, grace and mercy we did not deserve, love that we don't have to earn, and a forgiveness we can't provide on our own. And so, God, I pray today for every one of those people, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say to me right in this moment, Jeremy, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. He is not the Lord and Savior of my life. I need to ask him in this moment to forgive my sins. I need to ask him to be the Lord of my life. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? And now if you would just say, Jeremy, it's it's not a salvation issue for me. I am a follower of Christ. I'm in relationship, but I need to be more obedient. I, I need to find the footprints of Jesus and put my feet there. I need to get in behind him and I need to follow after his example greater than I ever had before. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Tons of hands. You can put them right back down. Thank you so much. God, I pray again for every person in this room, every person that's lifted their hand, every person that's acknowledged with their heart their need for you. 
God, in this moment, we ask you to forgive sins and to become the Lord and Savior of lives because you acknowledge that you'll do that as soon as we respond to you. We thank you for that today. I also thank you for every uplifted hand that's asking for a greater ability to obey. God, would you get in our business? And would you call us into shallow water and call us into deeper water? And then would you ask us to trust you greater than we ever have before? And God, as you call us into that place, would we respond in obedience? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.